Hello and welcome to this episode of Scotland Matters, the Scottish Land and Estates podcast. My name is Carmen McPherson, Membership Communications Manager at SLE. Following on from our previous episode where I spoke with Mark Tennant shortly before he stepped down as Chairman of SLE, in this episode you'll hear our Chief Executive Sarah-Jane Lang in conversation with our newly appointed Chairman, Dee Wood. I'm delighted to be able to get a chance to sit down this morning and have a chat with our new chair, Dee Ward. Now, Dee, you and I talk all the time. It's not often that we get a chance to kind of do this sort of interview style chat, but I do think it's quite important that we give the members and listeners a kind of chance to learn a little bit more about you as a person, as an estate owner, and as, you know, chair of Scottish Land and Estates. So, Dee, I wonder if you can just maybe share a little bit about you and about the estate at Rottle and, and your, you know, your, your journey so far. Uh, yes, absolutely. Thanks, SJ. Well, going back many years, I actually grew up in the south of England in Hertfordshire, but went to Scotland a lot as a child and always wanted to live in Scotland. And so just to cover that a little bit, I had a water cooler business in, in the south, which I sold in about 2000 and three and then in 2004 decided to move up to Scotland and I bought an estate in the Angus Glens that's called Rottle was part of Airlie and it's about 8,000 acres and I've spent the last what is it 18-19 years working very hard on on making that well making it pay number one which all of us have to do and also making it into a very hopefully richly biodiverse estate so Rottle's about, as I say, it's about 8,000 acres. When I got there, we had a tenant farmer who was on a five-year tenancy. That came to an end, and I thought, actually, I'll take it in, in hand myself, which I've done. So we have a real mixture of stuff there. We put in a hydroelectric scheme. We've got a small number, a couple of holiday cottages. We've, got, we've converted an old cattle court steading into an event space. And we have the traditional grouse shooting and deer stalking, a bit of fishing on the South Esk, and we farm sheep and cattle. So it's quite a mixed uh, mixed place. Yeah, and, and Dee, you've been really generous in terms of sort of hosting visits from politicians, from decision makers, people who, who want to understand a little bit more about land management. And it's almost, you know, you, you talk about what Rottle has, and it is one of those places where it really does kind of showcase that integrated approach to land management, opportunities for other people, farming and managing with nature. But still at its heart has got, you know, what people would see as kind of traditional upland activity. The shooting element, the, the upland farming element, they're a really important part of the mix, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and one of the one of the things on this journey, I suppose, is you you try and work out, and mainly by observation. I think all of us managing land, a lot of what we do is observing what we do and hope it's the right thing. And if it's not, we we tweak it or change it a bit. But you know, I've always been very clear that I want it to be a very biodiverse estate. I think that you know a lot of these upland estates have lost a lot of trees over the years through overgrazing and other things. We had we had a big issue with deer, for example, when I got there. The tenant farmer had double or more than double the amount of sheep that I've got on. So uh, we've been trying to sort of manage it in a, in a sustainable way. And actually that's sort of uh, 20 or 19 years ago, it wasn't really uh, in the headlines. Of course, the last few years, it's become very much in the headlines and the Scottish government have 
said that's part of their sort of plans, the 30 by 30 and the 2045 plan. So, but it feels the right way to farm for me and to run an estate. So it's, it's creating, you know, better quality, hopefully lamb, but less intensively. And I think that's, that's been a driver for us in everything we do. We've been reducing, as I say, grazing pressure through reduction of deer numbers. We have better quality deer now, but less of them. And, and that's really been a big principle, I suppose, in how we've run the place. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I really admire, Dee, is, is how open you are about, about Ruttle and, you know, not just the successes. You know, everyone likes to kind of show off when they get things right. But, you know, you, you'll talk about the challenges that you have and the decisions that have to be made, whether that's in, in connection with, you know, the, the terrible impact of the storm Arwen or the balancing the, I suppose, balancing the, the challenges of upland farming, but also trying to ensure that you've got visitors the development at Ruttle Steading, so you know that that kind of openness is is that is that something you can sort of see is is central to just how you do things. Um, yeah, very much so. I would say. Uh, so I came into this cold effectively eighteen or nineteen years ago, and I felt very much that us, or as land owners and managers and ENGOs, Scottish government were were all on different sides of the fence, and I, I just felt that that's not conducive to actually achieving much so I've been very and and also I think we do an awful lot of good work which no one knows about because we're terrible as landowners and managers are shouting about it so I felt that it would be good to actually show people what we did and change attitudes and you know that's what we've really tried to strive for we've all I mean I've also been lucky in for example at the fishery board there's something called the South S catchment partnership which uh, is chaired by Angus Council They've been very keen to do work on the river, which has has you know had difficulties in terms of you know the river quality, and so they we, we they approached me. So one of the big projects we did was the re-meandering of the Rottle Burn, and they approached me on that. And I thought, well, this is a fantastic idea. It's a huge opportunity, and that really opened the door to a lot of other collaborative work with people because you know that worked really well we we got on well we realized that we had a huge amount in common it's been a great success and been visited by many people over the years and now I work quite often with organizations that you'd think we wouldn't work with like the RSPB because at, at ground level they see all the good work I'm doing and by kind of opening it everything up to everyone I, I hide nothing from anyone Every, anyone's welcome to come and look around it kind of breaks down the barriers and people realize that we're doing good work. So they kind of change their attitudes. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and I think thinking back to, because you've been involved officially with SLE for, as I say, is it six years now? Yes. As, you know, Vice Chair Policy and, and previously Vice Chair Operations. But but that kind of drive, you know, to increase collaboration and, and to champion good practice, I think is something that, you know, that you've helped drive at, at the organisation. It's been great to be part of that. And as one thing we've kind of maybe not touched on is is the, your role in in terms of wildlife estates Scotland, which I I think you know ticks all of those boxes, and you know that that's something that clearly matters an awful lot to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I so t- well, roughly ten years ago, I I got accredited. We got accredited because I thought it was a really good thing to do. And then probably five years ago, I, I or maybe six, I got involved with chairing wildlife estate scotland and 
it was just at the point where I kind of, I think it had pr- probably lost a bit of uh, steam um, from an in- initially it started very well. It, it just slightly ran out of steam. And I, I just felt it so important to pick up that mantle and, and kind of showcase the good work that estates in Scotland do. I also felt that it was a way that, you know, with biodiversity loss and climate change, it was a way of encouraging people to, well, a way of encouraging more and more estates to do it. And also I felt the more estates that did it, the more credibility it would have. And we very much took an attitude and we've got that to this day that um, as wildlife estates being seen as trusted operators. So for government and Nature Scott, they know that we run to a certain standard. And to me, that collaborative approach has got to be way better than at the moment. There's a, you know, there is a slightly adversarial approach where we seem to try and catch each other out. I think if we all got on the same page and said, look, let's all work together, we'll all make a few mistakes, but we know your intentions are good. I think that's a really important way to manage land because there's a lot of stuff that's changed. And we're having to probably go back and learn things that our ancestors 200 years ago knew about because they didn't have modern fertilizers and pesticides and ways of doing things. So we're going to have to learn natural processes again. And actually us all being on the same page and all learning together has got to be beneficial, I think, to to Scotland generally. Yeah, and you're right. You know, there's lots of areas where, you know, collaboration will definitely kind of get us to where we want it to be. But thinking about some of those areas which have been kind of more challenging, whether that's in terms of uh, housing, you know, short-term lets, some of the stuff around the potential Grousemuir licensing. You know, I think you've been quite central, Dee, to to us taking a, you know, a a solution-based, robust approach, if I can kind of call it that. So sort of saying, you know, that's not going to work. Here's why it's not going to work. But here is an alternative to achieving something that we can maybe both both agree on. And, and I suppose what I'm trying to get to is, is, is your way of doing things, I do think, works for an organisation like Scottish Land and Estates that prides itself on being evidence-based and solution-focused. So, you know, lot, lots of alignment between sort of D as a person and Scottish Land and Estates. And I'm, I'm hoping you agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. Uh, and I, I do. I mean, we have a huge amount of challenges uh, at Scottish Land and Estates, uh, be they land reform, uh, housing issues, you know, CPCs, uh, short and long term, let's all sorts of things. And obviously, Grouse Moore's current and that's going through Parliament. But I, I'm just I'm always keen that everything that's done is based on evidence and fact, not on emotion. And I think there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in Scottish Parliament. And, and I don't think that's healthy for anyone because I think I understand often what they're trying to achieve and, and, and often what they're trying to achieve are good things, but they they get washed up in, or, or sort of sucked up in the whole emotion of the things and they don't base it on fact. And I think when that's not the case, we have to, you know, diplomatically say that is not going to work, but this will, because there's no point not giving them a solution. If you can give them a, a way that it will work and achieve their goals, but also not totally ruin the way or damage the way that we're trying to run our estates, I think that's a win-win for everyone. And to me, these sort of things should not be zero-sum games. I think you can both get what you want out of agreements and, and if you are prepared to talk and compromise a bit, and that's what we need to do. And, you know, we have to face that we are where we are for whatever, you know, we are where we are for the 
reason that things in the past, like raptor crime, have happened and the government have been pushed down a road to try and mitigate or stop that. And, you know, what I'm worried about is they've gone, they go too far the other direction because there's a huge amount of law-abiding estates out there doing really good work. But it's trying to get to that sort of compromise in the middle where they can achieve their goals. And, you know, I don't, I personally don't believe they're unreasonable in trying to do that. I just think some of the ways they've gone about it are unreasonable. And those are areas we're now trying to pick up on and argue with them that they're not going to work and give them a workable solution. Yeah, because sadly, you know, we, we've heard the line, whether it's on land reform or housing or, or land management or Gravesmoor, that, that line that, you know, good landowners, good landlords, good land managers have nothing to fear. And sadly, we might have nothing to fear, but the impact on our businesses of that kind of blanket approach is significantly negative for our employees, for our business plans, and indeed for, you know, even for housing supply, for nature. And and, and I think, you know, the, the reason that, you know, you, you have very high credibility with organisations like Nature Scott, Scottish Government and others is because you're able to kind of demonstrate that in practice by showing them, you know, how you do things at Rottle, what the real impact would, would be in your area. And then we can communicate how that would then impact on a, a wider Scotland. So for, for Scottish Land and States staff, having having you there walking the walk, shall we say, is, is really beneficial. I think it's really important to to walk the walk. I think it's important to be open. And I will often diffuse a situation with an MSP or a, you know, or an NGO by saying, look, come and see what we're doing. I'll show you what we're doing. And I'll explain to you why it's not practical to do it the way you think you, we, you want us to do it. And actually, as they say, a picture speaks a thousand words. When they come and actually see something physically, they go, ah, yes, okay, I see why that doesn't work. The problem we have, unfortunately, is they then go back to Parliament and everything gets politicised and we don't always get what we want. But I think we're in a position we just have to keep battling away and try and get what we want. And one of my big things is this whole idea of, of trusted operators, number one, I we are trusted to manage land because we do it well, we're open and honest and we show results. And the other is really it doesn't matter who owns land in my book. It's just what you do with it. How big your land holding is irrelevant. If you're an NGO, if you're the government, if you're a private landowner, if you manage your land well, you should be applauded for that. If you don't, you know, you should you should come up to the standards required to manage land well. And that applies to all of them. And I think the way that in a way private landowning is singled out is not great. I don't think that's right and it's not a true reflection of what's going on on the ground hopefully we're moving to this i suppose a different approach where it is as you say less tribal less looking back to what you know used to happen and decisions and policy being developed in terms of what's happening on the ground now and evidence rather than ideology and yeah i think you'll be at the kind of the forefront of that do you know kind of looking at the the role of SLE chair and as I say you know you've been involved with the organization for for a while and you know we're delighted you know that the, the whole staff team are delighted that that you're taking on the, the the role of chair but you know I wonder if you can just kind of share what's motivated you to to, to take on that role and and what do you, you hope to achieve during your your time as SLE chair well I think this I kind of, I suppose kind of two parts of that I mean I I just felt very strongly that 
as landowners, we all need to kind of play our part. And it's no good everyone keeping their head below the, the parapet. And I just felt that I needed to, you know, play my part. And, and I've obviously been preceded by Mark Tennant, who's done a great job, and obviously David Johnson before. But I do think it's really important that we there's a number of things going on, on on a macro level. And I think there's a massive disconnect between urban and rural. We see it with access issues. We see it with other things where a lot of people are so now disconnected from rural, the rural or countryside and farming and, and land management that they don't kind of understand how to behave or when they when they access land. They don't understand why we do things. Why do we do predator control? All these sorts of things, which are really important land management tools. So I think it's very what I'd like to do is try and break down these barriers more. And I think by being open, having open days, having more people kind of understanding what we're doing, and there must be an education piece to that, I think, where where in schools, you know, people are maybe educated better. That will lead to a much greater understanding of rural life, rural businesses, etc. So I think that's an important bit. And I think that land managers and owners really, because of the amount of area we we manage, you know, we hold the key to deliver climate mitigation and biodiversity restoration. Um, And I think that's a great opportunity for us to be seen as part of the solution and not part of the problem. Uh, You know, I think I think those are the sort of big, big, uh, I, I think we really need to get everyone on the same page. And much as we're all irritated, I know, by politicians of any persuasion, because they say one thing often and do another. I do think we need to just keep up the pressure and keep persuading them and showing them all the good work we do so they start listening to us. And I think, you know, you've been a great advocate of this, SJ, but over the last five years, I think we've got a lot more um, sort of clout with the Scottish government than we ever used to have. They listen to us. They don't always act, sadly, on what we say, but they do listen to us now. And we are managing to get some wins in bills going through parliament and i'm hoping as they respect us and trust us more and more that will that will increase um i might be naive but i do th- sometimes think you have to slightly just keep be naive and go for it because otherwise you'll just give up and i i, I just feel strongly that we are starting to win win the battle and I, I i'd like to keep that pressure up really yeah and as you say just you know we we often kind of talk about being consistent and authentic and it is just about doing just what you're saying there d turning up day after day you know sharing that message showing them the art of the possible because you know the politicians and others are dealing with so much almost information overload and voices and we, we just have to kind of make sure that we continue to keep banging that drum for for what our members are are, are doing and the contribution that they're making to you know Scotland's well-being to their economic growth to to nature to community and as you say that's something that over the last sort of five years or so maybe even a bit further back thinking back to you know the the, the last land reform act it was a real shift for SLE and I kind of feel that we've changed gears again in the last few years. Dee we've talked a lot about what motivates you and what you're hoping to achieve during your time as SLE chair but what do you think you'll find most challenging about the role? That's a very good question, because I think there's an awful lot of stuff coming down the road at us at the moment. I think land reform is something that concerns me, because 
the narrative around it just changes so much. I mean, when you speak to people at uh, Scottish Land Commission, some of the things they're trying to do look completely sensible. And then you read news headlines and it looks like people practically want to sort of nationalise land on that extreme. And I think that's going to be a really tricky path for us to, to tread. I'm hoping that uh, it, it will be, you know, if, if, you, if you believe what Scottish Land Commission is saying, I think, you know, it, they're saying it will be benign. But as I say, there are a lot of people on the more extremes that would like to drive that further and further to the left. And I, I think that's, that's a, that is a big concern to me. But there's a lot of stuff. I mean, grouse licensing, I know it doesn't affect all our members, but it's a principal thing uh, that suddenly something we've taken for granted is now going to be licensed and be taken away. And how easily will it be taken away? And if we don't get that right, it could be used for other things uh, to do with land management. I think that's a big concern. And there are a whole load of sort of ECHR concerns come into that. So I think, you know... We, we need to be careful the next few years it, with all these different things coming along. There's, I mean, obviously we, we haven't really talked about rural housing and both the sort of long-term and the, the holiday lets and EPCs. All, all of that is, you know, I think is a real issue to our members. And I think the, these are things we need, we need to get right too. So, so there's, there's an awful lot there that, that needs. One of the things that slightly drives me nuts is, and it's the same with agricultural tenancies, it's always seen by everyone not involved as adversarial. And the way the laws are made, it makes it adversarial. We should be partners. You want someone living in your house, paying a reasonable rent. They want a decent property that they can live in peacefully. Surely we're all on the same side. Likewise with farming, you know, the way that the tenancies are done makes it often very adversarial. And I think we should have a really revolutionary look at how we do these things. Because, you know, there is, if you look at other countries, they have joint venture agreements. They have all sorts of arrangements where they can manage land really well in partnership where both the landlord and the tenant or, or the partner, for want of a better word, make reasonable returns on their investment. And that's the sort of win-win situation I think we need to get to with a lot of stuff we do. It, we do seem to want to play this sort of zero-sum game where, you know, I you win, therefore I lose. And I just can't think that's sensible for the future of Scotland personally. No, I think you're right. And I think you kind of picked up on the fact that, you know, mutually beneficial relationships deliver the best outcomes, whether that's working with partners on micro businesses or or working with as you say, kind of joint ventures or or even, you know, partners on, on collaboration projects like, you know, like the ones that you've done. There probably isn't enough as just as you say of, of that kind of balance of of interest. The the focus on legislation is all we've seen as the backstop for dealing with the kind of the tiny minority of, of of things that go wrong but ag holding is an interesting one and I do think that we've we really have changed the uh, the climate that we're discussing ag holdings and a lot of that is down to tenant farming commissioner Bob Bob McIntosh and you know I, I hope that you and I get to to work with you know even more people like Bob McIntosh and you know in, in the next few years because I really do think just as you're sort of saying huge strides can be made when you have that kind of approach rather than one which pits one side against the other you know community versus landowner or landlord against tenant so you know you, you and I are, are you know are, are completely aligned on that. 
Dee, I wonder if we can kind of, you know, a, a question, you know, you've been involved with the organisation for, for six years, and I just wonder if there's anything that surprised you about about what we do, how we work, that you might want to kind of share with other members who are not quite as as close, or, you know, so you think back to when, when you and I, I remember meeting you for the first time, it was at a parliamentary reception, celebrating the, you know, the sort of Moorland management, and at that point, I remember you sort of saying you didn't really know much about SLE beyond the part, the point that you were kind of paying yourself. But, you know, what surprised you about the organisation in, in the sort of last 10 years that you think other members should maybe know more about? One, the staff, the levels of professionalism of the staff. One thing I didn't do was actually, and I didn't appreciate it was available, but you can ring up a huge variety of staff and ask some different questions about issues you might be having. I think that's really good. I think the work that they all do behind the scenes, working with NGOs, working with government special advisors, working with civil servants, and actually working directly with MSPs, there's an awful lot we do. I think often a headline comes out about something, and, and as a member, you think, God, I wish SLE would really, you know, shout about this and, and tell them that they're all talking rubbish. But actually, what I learned is there's an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes. And we've got, you know, access to a lot of the corridors of power in, in, in um, Holyrood. And I think that's really important. So I think you achieve more by quietly talking to people than shouting about it and creating headlines, which just polarizes debate again. And, and I, I think those were things which I thought were really good. And the other thing I think that we've changed a lot that I know we've worked on since I've been there and because it was you were looking at it just when I arrived was the whole kind of change of to tone uh so so being professional being courteous being fact and evidence driven not getting emotional not trying to polarize things looking at finding solutions and actually I think that's paid us back in spades in the attitude that we have with Scottish government, MSPs, and actually particularly with um, NGOs like Nature Scott. I mean, our relationship, I think, with Nature Scott is really, really strong. If we have concerns about things, we can ring them directly. If they have concerns about things, they can ring us directly. And I think that relationship is a really good one because they kind of see us as part of the solution. And, and I think if we can get government to feel the same way we'll have achieved a great thing in the next few years yeah and I think the other thing that might surprise members actually Dee is, is the amount of time that you and you know and and, and Mark and David before you give to SLE you know so you're you know you're all very generous with your your time your expertise and as you know that's something that's you know really really appreciated by the by the staff team and I know is appreciated by the membership as well and, you know, just to kind of close this, because you and I can talk for hours and, you know, and I always love our chats, but I wonder, you know, do, do you have, a, you know, a, a message to the members in terms of, you know, fr from you as incoming chair, you know, any any key asks to that wider membership that, that you'd like to share? I suppose as, a, as an overview is obviously we've got a lot of challenges coming down the line at us and and um, we didn't even really touch on the new farm subsidy and so on which obviously we'll be working hard about but I think that to me what what we need to do I mean the key words for me going forward are things like collaboration I think collaborating with 
your neighbours collaborating with NGOs to try and achieve goals. Government have targets to hit. Nature Scott have targets to hit. Things like peatland restoration, woodland creation, climate change mitigation. All these things are coming at us. And, and I think work, being able to collaborate, work at scale, show all the good work because all our members are doing fantastic stuff. And it's kind of just showing, showcasing that good work not being afraid to get people in and show them, you know, whether it's a walk and talk or an MSP visit and changing the attitude that MSPs and Scottish government and, and, and some NGOs have towards us. And I think that would be really positive because I think, as I said at the beginning, a picture speaks a thousand words. If you visit someone's estate and you see the amazing work they've done visually, you you really buy into it and you go wow these people have done some fantastic stuff here and that could that could be housing could be affordable housing could be anything could be an event space could be tree planting riparian planting anything um, modern farming techniques I mean there's some amazing new dairy um, and mob grazing stuff going on out there there's lots that our members are doing which I think are really really fantastic yeah and and D you were you were one of the sort of first winners of Helping It Happen Award as, as well as, as kind of part of a part of the group up in the, the Angus Glens. And I, I think just as you're sort of saying that, the, 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 you know, the variety of things that our members do and that they do well, uh, Helping It Happen, something really showcases that. And you've been a real champion of, of that award scheme. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Helping It Happen is fantastic because it's not just open to members, it's open to everyone. It's inclusive. It could be your local artisan baker or whatever. It could, it could be anyone. Things like estates that educate or, or someone locally educating children in rural ways. I mean, these sort of things I think are fantastic. And it's well supported by people out with land management as well. And I think that's great. We have a lot of good sponsors. And I, I think it's a really inclusive awards. And I, that's why I'm really supportive of it. Well, Dee, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your normal, open and passionate way. You know, I'm really looking forward to working with you during your, your time as chair. I know that the whole staff team is, and I'm sure we'll be back to do more podcasts over the next period. But, but for now, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks to both Sarah Jane and to Dee for recording this episode. We are delighted to have Dee as our new chairman and look forward to working with him and hearing more from him throughout his tenure. In other news, if you haven't yet submitted your nominations for the Helping It Happen Awards, there's still time to do so. Sponsored by Nature Scott, the awards are an opportunity for you to shout about the work that you or others have been undertaking with the goal of helping rural Scotland thrive. A link to the entry form is available in the episode description and you have until the 30th of June to send in your entries. Good luck. As always, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Scotland Matters, but if you have any questions, please remember that members of Scottish Land and Estates have access to dedicated support, information and advice over the phone and via email from our policy team. Please feel free to get in touch. In the next episode of Scotland Matters, you'll hear a special edition live recording featuring our staff and guests at the Royal Highland Show and the Scottish Game Fair. We can't wait for show season to start and we are sure this will be an episode you won't want to miss. I hope you'll join us then.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Scotland Matters, the Scottish Land and Estates podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your preferred streaming platform and do leave us a five-star review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please remember that we have a variety of events scheduled for members throughout the year. Visit the Scottish Land and Estates website for more information on our upcoming lineup and to book your place. Land Business Magazine, our quarterly publication, is also available online now. This is an excellent resource to find out what we've been up to and how we are working on behalf of our members. And finally, if you're not yet a member but would like to find out more about what an SLE membership can do for you, more information about the different membership packages available can be found on our website www.scottishlandandestates.co.uk forward slash membership. Links to everything mentioned can be found in the description of this episode. Thanks for being here.